Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. Well, if you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> Again, we've been walking through a section on the Christian mindset. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this really came out of my own, uh, I guess, need or desire to, uh, as I was just looking at the culture during the COVID craziness and the upcoming election and all this stuff several months ago, <clears throat> just thinking, okay, how, how is a Christian supposed to think? Because <laughs> it seems like as I look at the church, the mindset of the body of Christ is a little wickety-whack uh, right now. <clears throat> so I just was coming back to this idea, okay, biblically, what is to be the mindset of a Christian? And uh, I was just kind of led in my own mind, uh, I think by the Spirit, to the book of Philippians, but specifically chapter 4, which is all about having this certain kind of a mind. And so Philippians chapter 4, I just want to read uh, verses uh, 4 down through verse 9 uh, with you. So uh, this is what uh, it says. <clears throat> Paul writes Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let everyone come to know your gentleness. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with gratitude, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good rapport, if there's anything virtuous and if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Do those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at verse 6, uh, where it says again, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with gratitude or with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And I'd like to actually finish the verse <laughs> this week. <clears throat> we are moving through the passage, just for clarity. We, we are almost done. We're almost on verse 7 out of 9. Though verse 8 is going to be, it's going to take us a while to get through verse 8. So, so just patience. <laughs> uh, but again, we've been walking through verse 6 and looking at this idea that there is to be no anxiety in your life. Uh, rather, everything in your life should be pushing you to Jesus uh, through prayer. And what I want to focus on specifically this morning is this idea that all of this praying is done with thanksgiving. And I th find this just rather perfectly timed uh, because our big holiday is coming up in just a couple of weeks. And I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving is quite a delightful celebration. Uh, it's full of food and fun and family and festivities and uh, and I know that when we think or when we hear Thanksgiving, we, we understand, okay, we should be thankful for things. And, oh, Thanksgiving's coming. It's November. And so we tend to have this mindset that Thanksgiving is more of a meal. And obviously that's not what Paul's talking about. Uh, when he's talking about Thanksgiving, we're not talking about a once-a-year celebration where we sit around a table and we go, hey, we should probably say for once this year what we're thankful for. <laughs> 
Like he's talking about a lifestyle thing. In fact, if you start listening to the tenor of Scripture, what you hear is that Thanksgiving is not supposed to be a once-a-year activity. It's not even supposed to be a once-a-week activity. Thanksgiving actually is a moment-by-moment lifestyle, tenor of your life activity. Uh, So let me just give you a couple passages just to reinforce this idea. This is just all over the place. But Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever you do, what is it to be done with? Thanksgiving. Uh, Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, do you want the word always in Greek means? Always. <laughs> so always in everything, there is to be giving thanks uh, flowing out of our lives. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. It's that great passage. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So you want to know what the will of God for your life is? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in everything. It's a great reminder of God's will for your life. So all those people who are like, oh, I want to know what God's will for my life is. We know what God's will for your life is. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, and then, of course, in our passage, Philippians 4, 6, right? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, give thanks. So you get this tone throughout Scripture that, again, this is not, we're not talking about a special meal. We're not talking about a celebration once a year. We're not even saying, hey, come down to the church house once a week and let's give, some, let's give God thanks. What Paul is saying is that this is the lifestyle. This is the attitude. This is the flow of your life biblically. And wouldn't it be a neat thought if Thanksgiving was more than just a meal? It was actually an everyday celebration. Which should be full of food and fun and festivities and family. And I mean, that just sounds delightful, doesn't it? If every day becomes a banquet of celebrating the reality of all that's happening in our lives and all that God is doing. Um, be expensive and a lot of turkey, but that still sounds delightful to me. <clears throat> uh, when you look at this idea again of giving thanks Uh, biblically, uh, there's some different nuances specifically in the New Testament about this idea of giving thanks. And I just want to give you a few of these uh, just so as we come back into our passage, we can just kind of see it from a global perspective. But again, we've already mentioned this, but giving thanks is to be in every activity, every moment of your life. And of course, we just ran through all those passages. So again, one of the major tenors of thanksgiving in Scripture is that it is at all times, in all places, in all circumstances. So whether it's good things or bad things or ugly things, there's always to be thanksgiving going on in your life. Uh, Colossians 2.7 tells us that we are to be abounding in thanksgiving. And the word abounding, by the way, means to be abundant or plentiful or existing in large quantities. So listen to Colossians 2.7. Paul writes that we are rooted and built up in Jesus and established in the faith, just as you are taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So, hey, you are rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus. And what is the reality of your life? That there is to be this abundance, this this plenty, this large quantity of thanksgiving. Why? Because you are rooted and grounded in Christ. Uh, We already read the passage, but 1 Thessalonians 5, excuse me, verse 18, says that thanksgiving is God's will for your life. That, hey, if you want to know what God's will for your your living is, 
it is rooted in this idea of thanksgiving. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, I, I love this concept. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is giving a whole series of contrasts, and he's comparing the contrast, or sorry, the kingdom of darkness and contrasting that with the kingdom of light. And he's saying, do you know what the kingdom of darkness, do you know what the kingdom of this world is all about? He says that is completely different than the kingdom of God. And one of the contrasts that Paul makes in Ephesians 5 is that of the language of the kingdom. He says, do you know what the language of this world is all about? In Ephesians 5, 4, he says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse joking, which are not fitting. So in the setting up of a contrast of kingdoms, Paul says, hey, the whole world is wrapped up in this foolish talking, coarse jesting. This just, it is, it's unprofitable. It's just demeaning. It's just full of junk. And that is contrasted with the language of the kingdom. And do you know what the language of the kingdom is all wrapped up in and all about? He says at the end of verse 4 of Ephesians 5, rather give thanks. So there's actually a language or a communication in the kingdom of God. And what is the communication or the language in the kingdom of God? Thanksgiving. And that is completely different than the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of the world pushes down. The kingdom of the world is very coarse and just polluted and full of junk. But the kingdom of heaven lifts up and it is full of thanksgiving. That's the language of the kingdom. And wouldn't it just be a neat thought that when we get to heaven, just the tenor of the language is going to be that of rejoicing and celebration and thanksgiving. Why? Because we are celebrating Jesus. Now, what if that reality became our reality now? It's just a neat thought. Uh, In uh, 2 Corinthians 4.15, <clears throat> There's this idea that thanksgiving is actually supposed to increase. And as it increases, it actually gives God glory. So you get this double idea that there's this increase of thanksgiving going on, but, the, but, but also there's this idea that the thanksgiving itself is that which is declaring or demonstrating or lifting up uh, the very glory of God. Second Corinthians 4.15 says this, For it is all for your sake, So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So as grace is expounding, as more and more more people are experiencing the grace of God, it literally increases the thanksgiving, which then gives God more glory, which is just a beautiful thought. And uh, Colossians chapter 3, and if you have your Bibles, you might want to just flip a couple pages. But in Philippians chapter 3, sorry, Colossians chapter 3, Paul, in a whole kind of a boom, 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 kind of a uh, flow here, gives three passages right in a row, all containing this idea of thanksgiving. So in Colossians 3, starting in verse 15, uh, Paul says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So there's this idea that, okay, here we are experiencing the peace of God in one body, which reminds us of our Ephesians study. But the whole tenor of this thing, there's an attitude in this one body. What's the attitude in the body? Thanksgiving. Now, as you go to the very next verse, verse 16, you have this idea that the attitude of thanksgiving is now being demonstrated outwardly in praise and in gratitude and in thanksgiving. Colossians three sixteen says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
So your attitude, just the tenor of your life is to be thanksgiving, but that is to demonstrate itself and come out as how? Uh, uh, Admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness. And then what's neat then is then he clarifies in verse 17 that, that, that again, this is not to be a once a week activity. This isn't just a, hey, when I feel like it, oh, when things are going really well, this is at every moment of every single day. So he says that in verse 17, So whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, you just get this whole tone that the attitude of your life is thanksgiving, that is to come out of your, that is to be demonstrated and come out of your life as thanksgiving and praise and and song and hymns, spiritual songs. But that is to be done at all times in every moment of every circumstance and every situation. And in other words, the whole tenor of your life is to be thanksgiving. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Uh, I was looking up at a a Bible dictionary, just looking at this idea of thanksgiving, and it was talking about Paul's specific usage of thanksgiving. And I I just want to give you the quote, because I just thought this was so interesting uh, in light of this idea of thanksgiving. So this is what the dictionary said about Paul's usage of thanksgiving. Uh, It says, Paul mentions the subject of thanksgiving in his letters more often, line for line, than any other Hellenistic author, pagan, or Christian. And Hellenistic, by the way, is talking about that Greek culture. So during the Greek and Roman days, there is no writer who talks more about Thanksgiving line for line than Paul does. Isn't that a cool thought? That whether it's pagan or Christian, Paul trumps them all with this idea of Thanksgiving. That he is just going berserko on this idea of Thanksgiving. And then that word, <clears throat> the Thanksgiving, that, that idea, that word group, shows up 46 times in Paul's writings and it appears in many important contexts of every letter that he wrote, except for Galatians and Titus. So we might as well rip those out of our Bibles. I'm kidding. Totally kidding. Don't, don't quote that. Uh, the dictionary goes on and says, The apostles' thanksgiving terms consistently expresses the notion of gratitude, which finds outward and often public expression in thanksgiving. Paul's use of thanksgiving approximates what we understand by praise, for it is broader than the expression of merely gratitude for personal benefits received. So it's not just saying, oh, someone gave me this. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, there's that idea. But the way Paul uses it is in a much more grand idea in the sense of just praise and adoration and worship and thanksgiving unto God. And it's interesting, as you look at this flow of the New Testament in light of thanksgiving, it was actually a rather stunning thought just as I was studying through this, that if you lack gratitude and if you lack thanksgiving, that is the very first step toward idolatry. Isn't that an interesting thought? That the moment I stop having gratitude and thanksgiving, what that leads to is idolatry. Right? And it comes from this idea in Romans one twenty one, talking about the fact that here are these people who have set up these idols and, and made themselves, basically they made themselves their own gods. In Romans 1.21, Paul clarifies and he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. That there is something to be said that when we do not live in an attitude of thanksgiving, what it begins to lead to is idolatry. And Gordon Fee on the passage uh, here in, in Philippians 4, he's a uh, biblical scholar, 
he says this in relationship to the Romans 121 thing. I just thought this was neat. He says, lack of gratitude is the first step to idolatry. Thanksgiving is an explicit acknowledgement of creatureliness and dependence, a recognition that everything comes as a gift, the verbalization before God of his goodness and his generosity. If prayer as petition indicates their utter dependence on God, sorry, dependence on and trust in God, petition accompanied by thanksgiving puts both their prayer and their lives into proper theological perspective. Thanksgiving does not mean to say thank you in advance for gifts to be received. Rather, it is the absolute basic posture of the believer and the proper context for prayer to God. Isn't that a neat thought? <clears throat> so as we come in back into our passage, if you take all that and come back into Philippians 4, it's interesting that in verse 6 again, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And again, we've been walking through this, but just as a reminder, Paul again is setting up a contrast. And he says, there is nothing in our lives that should cause anxiety. (laughs) Which is still ridiculous to me. It's like, you're telling me, Paul, that there is absolutely nothing in my life that should cause anxiety? Correct. Nothing that should cause worry or fear or foreboding? Correct. Well, then how on earth would we live? I mean, that is just, that's normal. That is human living. I mean, all you have to do is turn on your news right now. How are people living? Anxiety, fear, foreboding, worry, anxiety. I mean, it's just, this whole thing, even in the church. And yet Paul says that there should be absolutely nothing going on in your life that, that brings about anxiety. Why? Because when those things that should cause anxiety show up in your life, rather than giving into the anxiety, what they should do is press you or push you unto Jesus. So do not live with anxiety. So nothing should be causing anxiety. Everything should be causing prayer, is what he says. Isn't that a beautiful contrast? That again, nothing in your life is producing fear and worry. That doesn't mean that the circumstances changed. <laughs> you still have to deal with this political election. You still have to deal with flat tires. You still have to deal with your family members. You still have to deal with your finances or lack thereof. You still got to deal with this stuff. So it doesn't mean everything's removed and you just kind of like put this rosy glasses on and, you know, you start seeing Skittles falling from the sky and all that kind of stuff. That's not, you've got to live life. But wouldn't it be amazing that the circumstances that should be producing anxiety or which do produce anxiety in most people's lives, in your life, what it begins to do is it drives you to Jesus, which means there's no space for anxiety. Because what's happening is in everything is pressing this reality of saying, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I need you. And again, it's interesting that he uses three different words for the word prayer. And again, a lot of them are kind of synonyms for each other. But it seems like what Paul's saying is, hey, prayer is this big picture of prayer, this umbrella term. And what am I doing in the middle of this prayer? Oh, making supplication. And what am I doing in the middle of supplication? I'm making these requests and I'm making them known to God. And all of that is to be done with this idea of thanksgiving. So, again, the whole posture of our praying should be thanksgiving. That that the whole way that I live in prayer should be done with thanksgiving. And again, it's not just, we're not just talking prayer. We're talking everything in your life. It should be done with prayer. Uh, One scholar was contrasting anxiety and this idea of trust and dependence I love what he said. He said, said it this way. To be anxious 
means that we ourselves suffer. We ourselves groan. Ourselves seek to see ahead. But thanksgiving means giving God the glory in everything, making room for him and casting our care upon him, letting it be his care. Isn't that a great contrast? That when we live in anxiety, it means we're suffering, we're groaning, we're trying to see ahead, we're trying to make plans. How are we going to do this? How are we going to survive? How are we going to pull this thing off? But if I would live in thanksgiving, it actually says, God, I, I trust you. That I'm, hey, God, I'm giving you the glory in this situation. And I don't, I don't have the answer for this. I don't know how we're going to deal with this. I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. But Lord, I trust you. And so thanksgiving, therefore, makes room for God. I love that phrase. So again, all things are pushing us to this reality of intimacy with Jesus. And I, and I keep using the picture, but and I'm sorry for all the podcast people who listen on audio. But if here's God and here is me, the moment anxiety gets in the middle of us or this, this pressure gets in the middle of us, it's going to start pushing us apart. So what would happen if I got so tight with Jesus that when the pressure came, there was actually no room in between me and Jesus to, to push us apart. What if the pressure only came from the outside, which means it only pushed me closer to Jesus? See, wouldn't it be amazing if every circumstance and every situation and every trial, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, would only increase your intimacy with Jesus and drive you to the reality of him? And if that was true, how would you live? Well, thanksgiving, wouldn't you? Wouldn't just, wow, Jesus, this is such a, this is such a great opportunity. I have no money in my bank account. Praise the Lord. Wow, Jesus, they still have no idea who the president's going to be. Man, this is awesome. Why? Because I get to trust you. And I get, to rem- I get to remind myself that you are the king of kings and lord of lords, and we don't have to vote on that. So I can rest. And I can actually, I can, I can, oh, I can live in thanksgiving. So again, what if there was nothing in our life that produced anxiety? What if everything in our life pressed us to Jesus? Which means you can relax. You can actually have hope. You can have peace, which actually is why verse 7, I think, appears next in our passage. Not because it's number 7, but the whole concept, the whole flow of this passage makes sense. If I'm living this way, if everything is driving me to Jesus, if nothing's producing anxiety in my life, if if my whole life is full of thanksgiving, look at verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Well, that makes sense if I'm living in this new reality, which we'll look at next time, by the way. We're not going to look at that today. So you get this whole tenor then that that thanksgiving implies gratitude and submission and dependence and rest and and trust upon Jesus. And doesn't that just sound good? It sounds so much better than living in the anxiety and the fretfulness and the fear and the foreboding and the ulcers and the stress and the... Uh, William Barclay, a commentator, said that thanksgiving implies gratitude and also perfect submission to the will of God. It is only when we are fully convinced that God is working all things together for good that we can really feel the perfect gratitude or thanksgiving towards him which believing prayer demands. And if we really believe that Romans 8.28 still is true today, you realize you could live every circumstance with thanksgiving. If we really believe that all that, that God works together all things to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, if we really believe that to be true, you can trust him. 
that if something bad happens in your life and you get the flat tire or the lack of finances or you lose your job or you get COVID or the political election doesn't turn out the way that you hoped it would, if you realize that he is steering all things and he's going to use it for your good, for your sanctification, for his purpose in your life, that doesn't mean he's causing everything. He is sovereign, folks, but that doesn't mean he's manipulating everything. He doesn't cause sin, right? He doesn't, he doesn't produce sin. So if you do sin, he's not causing that. So he doesn't cause all things, but he does allow th- things in your life. Why? Well, whether they're good or bad, yeah, that which the enemy meant for evil, God can flip that and begin to use that for good in your life. So if something bad starts happening in your life, why don't you thank him for the bad stuff? Wow, Jesus, this is terrible. I mean, could you imagine? This is the worst thing that's ever happened. Thank you. And of course, someone listens in on your prayer and they may think you're crazy. But actually what it is is a declaration of saying, Jesus, I trust you. Jesus, I don't understand how this is going to work out. Lord, I don't understand how this is going to come together. Lord, I don't, but Lord, I know who you are and I trust you. So a couple quick practicals. You realize if we're going to have Thanksgiving in our life, it does mean you're going to have to trust him. Because the only way you can actually do Thanksgiving is when you trust. Because when we're talking about Thanksgiving, we're not just saying throwing some platitudes or some words to God saying, all right, good, thank you, and then trying to live your own life. This is actually resigning yourself to him and saying, okay, Lord, I know who you are. And though I may not understand the circumstance, I do trust you. So you've got to trust him. You, you have to submit yourself under, under his purpose, his will, his care, whatever that looks like. But secondly, that demands, if you're going to trust him, that demands that you actually know him and know his character. Because there's no way you can trust him if you don't know him. So what would it look like then if we just got so acquainted with Jesus that we got so wrapped up in the reality of who God is that we began to realize that we can trust him? That his mercies are new every morning. That he has not forsaken us. That he will never leave us or forsake us. That he is working all things for our good. That at his heart is love. And yes, he is perfect holiness and righteousness, which means he does want to sanctify us which means there are times he will allow stuff in our life to cleanse and purify and to allow dross to come out of our life to to shave off those little corners that should not be in our lives. That's actually a good thing. And a lot of times, the only time dross comes out of our life is when we experience pressure and hardship and difficulty. And and when your life is being squeezed, that's the time stuff comes out. You're like, oh, there's more stuff in my life. That's actually good. So can we, can we trust in his purpose? Can we trust in his character so that we could always give thanks at all times and all circumstances? Knowing that whether it's good or whether it's bad or whether it's ugly, yes, it's really easy to give God thanks and good stuff. Wow, Lord, I just got a $1,000 check in the mail. Praise the Lord. Those ones are easy. <laughs> it's a little harder when it's like, oh, I got the bill for $1,000 in the mail. Praise the Lord you're still called to be thankful. So whether it's good or whether it's bad or whether it's ugly, we need to give thanks. So again, a few quick practicals. Number one, we need to trust him. Number two, in order to trust him, we need to know him. But three, I think, sounds very simple. We just need to do it. And the only way we're ever going to learn how to be thankful in all circumstances is to start being thankful in all circumstances. 
So what if everything started driving us to Jesus? And what if, what if we would, yes, see the sunrise and say, wow, Jesus, thanks for the sunrise. But what if we would see the flat tires as an opportunity to trust Jesus? Jesus, thanks for the flat tire. Wow, Jesus, thanks for this hardship. Wow, Jesus, thanks for the confusion in the election. And I don't know, I don't know why we're still in this state of, of craziness, but I trust him. So I can give thanks to him. And no matter what the outcome is, no matter who actually wins this thing, I, I trust Jesus. Why? Because he can stir the hearts of kings like a waterway. So even if it's not someone I would personally want to be sitting in that position, I still trust Jesus because they were only given that position under the sovereignty of Jesus. So I can trust Jesus, which means if, if need be, God can bring them down. I'm not trying to say anything, just conceptually, he can. I mean, if you look at the Nebuchadnezzar story, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest king in all the world, and he ate grass for a season. So, hey, I trust Jesus. And hey, if the COVID thing starts spiking again, which <laughs> if you watch the news stuff, seems like it is, and all these other you know, European countries are starting to close down their borders and are closing everything down again, guess what I get to do? I get to thank, I get to thank Jesus. Or thank you for another opportunity <laughs> for the craziness. So I, hey, let's trust. Hey, let's depend. Let's, let's surrender. And maybe if I can practically apply it into our lives, we do have a Thanksgiving coming up in a couple of weeks. And I don't want to downplay the, the, the day because it is, a, it is an exciting day. And it should be a day full of festivities and fun and food and family. And what? Oh, yeah, it's a phantasmagoric. That's another good F word. It's a phantasmagorical fest, festival of family feasting and fun. All right, let's just go on. Uh, <clears throat> and while that should be still true, <laughs> you realize what if that, what if that, the tenor of that became the reality of our everyday life? That again, it, that Thanksgiving was more than just a meal. It was more than just one day a year. It, it actually became the lifestyle, the attitude, the tenor, the language of our lives. In every moment of every circumstance, no matter what we're facing. And what if someone could look at your life and go, wow, your life today is just, you are so thankful. Aren't you going through hard times? And you're like, yes, I am. Which is why I'm going to thank God all the more. I, th I think that would say something to our culture. Which goes back to that First Peter passage where it says, hey, we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Which means that people are seeing the hope. They're seeing something different in our lives, which means they're asking us, what is that hope? And I think more than ever before, we have the opportunity in our culture, because it is getting so dark, to be a demonstration of the life and the light. And what if we actually lived with thanksgiving? Uh, so this is how I want to end. I thought this would be fun. I was looking up some stuff, and I found an ancient prayer of thanksgiving from the early church fathers. Uh, they don't know exactly when it was written, but it was right around 100 AD. So this is just a few decades after the early church started, and, and th this was just a prayer that was prayed uh, in the late 1st century, early 2nd century, so around the 100 AD. Uh, but I just want to close in prayer by giving an ancient prayer from the early church. just thought kind of fun. Uh, so pray with me. Uh, it says this, We give thanks to you, Holy Father, 
for your holy name, which you have caused to dwell in our hearts, and for the knowledge and the faith and the immortality that you have made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. You, Almighty Master, created all things for your name's sake and gave food and drink to humans to enjoy so that they might give you thanks. But to us you have graciously given spiritual food and drink and eternal life through your servant. And above all, we give thanks to you because you are mighty. To you be the glory forever. Remember your church, Lord, to deliver us from all evil and to make it perfect in your love. And from the four winds gather the church that has been sanctified into your kingdom, which you have prepared for it. For yours is the power and the glory forever. May grace come, and may this world pass away. Hosanna to the God of David. If anyone is holy, let him come. If anyone is not, let him repent. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.